Could I, there's talk of a, a rematch with Frazier, and anybody who saw the first fight, I'm sure, would be... Uh, that's what they want to see, because it was a great fight. It was one of the best fights I've ever seen, I think. Are you going to make a prediction about your return? Well, I have a poem. Ah. Okay, one minute. <laughs> one minute. The poem goes no. like this. People say, what's going to happen? You meet Joe Frazier again. Here's how the fight's going to sound on the radio for those who can't afford to buy the expensive theater seats. <laughs> and the fight goes like this. Ding, Ali comes out to meet Frazier, but Frazier starts to retreat. If Frazier goes back an inch farther, he'll wind up in the ringside seat. Ali swings to the left. Ali swings to the right. Look at the kid carry the fight. Frazier keeps backing, but there's not enough room. It's a matter of time. There Ali lowers the boom. Now Ali lands to the right. What a beautiful swing. And the punch lifts Frazier clean out of the ring. <laughs> that, ladies and gentlemen, was the greatest of all time, Muhammad Ali. Uh, welcome to Out Front with AJ and Nick. Uh, today we're going to be doing something a little bit different than we normally do. No politics, uh, at least not that aren't related to Muhammad Ali. No uh, Trump news, none of that. Today we're going to be focusing on simply the greatest, uh, Muhammad Ali. Uh, I want to just really quickly, you can find us on Facebook, Chicago Podcast Network, on Twitter, at Chicago Podcast Network, or at Chi-Town Podcast One. And you can email us on Gmail, Chicago Podcast Network at gmail.com. Now that we got the propers out of the way, uh, AJ, say hello to the people. Hey, people. Uh, late last night, uh, early this morning, however you want to look at it, Muhammad Ali passed away at the age of 74. And as much as we could talk about his illustrious boxing career, of which very few compare athletically to his achievements, uh, it's really what the man represented to America, to the world, that I want to get into. And uh, I want... First and foremost, AJ, to ask you about your reaction to the passing of Muhammad Ali. Well, when I first heard that he was hospitalized, I had a, a notion that it will either not go very well or he's going to be very, very lucky coming out of his respiratory problems. So when I first heard of you know, inklings of him, him passing, I wasn't too emotionally distraught about it. Um, we're talking about a man that, what, in his 40s? Yes. Got Parkinson's? Well, I mean, at least, you know, been diagnosed with Parkinson's, you know? So from 40 to now, I mean, there's like huge, that's huge. Quite honestly, you know, and given that it's Muhammad Ali and he has uh, various resources at his disposal in order for him to maintain his quality of life. But having said that, I mean, you're talking about someone who kind of triumphantly um, survived Parkinson's as much as he could um, for a person who he was, someone whose career... Um, occupational hazard is concussions, you know, and for him to live as long as he did and the kind of boxer that he was um, is just huge in my view. And I, you know, obviously I didn't grow up with Muhammad Ali watching him and everything, but I've seen him when he was still able to walk and talk. Um, I remember growing up watching old film footage of Muhammad Ali's matches on ESPN and in the, the 90s and everything. He, I, um, honestly, I want to tell you so that he, if you think about it, 
he launched ESPN Classic. That is a that is a network that exists mainly to show his fights. Right. I mean, I, oh yeah, I mean, that was like, I remember that was just being nothing boxing classics, you know. Um, Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali and Foreman, um, weird uh, obscure, Tysons, weird you know. obscure black and white fights from the 1950s and 60s. Exactly. So, so I remember watching those matches and everything, and I wasn't like a huge boxing fan. I would watch it when you know household names would appear: Evander Holyfield, Tyson, um, Tommy Douglas. Um, Buster, Buster Douglas, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you can um, go down the list. Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, you know, Jack Dempsey, Jake LaMotta, yeah. you know, all the greats. But there was, just athletically even, there was something different about Ali than any other boxer who you've ever seen. He fought three different styles in his career. He had, when he was very young and he was coming up in the Olympics and then his first title reign, uh, just his ability to move, his ability to, to out maneuver a fighter and then after the loss of his license and coming back and basically becoming almost a a left-handed power puncher to which was weird his jab became you know surgical and then you know he as his skills started to wane you know going into the foreman fight he invents the rope-a-dope goes down as a strategic genius in the history of the sport uh it's but more importantly than that it was when he would go into a fight, the way he would talk about his opponents, we played the clip to start the show about Joe Frazier that was going into their second fight, and that fight even doesn't compare to what the fight would be in the third one, the Thriller in Manila, which I don't know. AJ, have you ever watched the full Thriller in Manila? Oh, yeah, I've seen that. I mean, I've the, seen that match. That fight is the most brutal boxing match other than um, Kearns, uh, Goodwin, I think, is the other one, and... Uh, Actually, no, Kearns Goodwin is a very famous female writer, and that's not who I'm talking about. I was thinking, like, who Doris about? Kearns Goodwin was a boxer. Um, <laughs> no, but there, the, uh, the, there's a Hearns versus somebody fight that if you ever get the chance, uh, it's considered the most violent. Uh, no, I, I look it up right now because I'm sitting in. Just so you know, ladies and gentlemen, we're not doing this in our normal locations. We are Hearns versus Hagler. That's the fight I'm thinking of. Oh, okay. It's the most brutal boxing match you'll ever watch. It's just two dudes trying to kill each other. Thrill in Manila is the same thing. But realistically, when you come to talking about Ali, uh, I don't know about you, AJ, but I always felt like boxing was the third or fourth most interesting thing about the man. It- yeah. Um, again, I mean, I wasn't – I've been to a, a boxing club in my hometown area, and I boxed but never been done boxing matches. I've done more sparring and everything else. But having said that, I mean, when I watched most of the boxers, I mean, the one that, that struck me the most with Muhammad Ali is that he was a tall, statured man. He you was, know, he was pretty. I mean, if you look at like George Foreman, Joe Frazier, I mean, they were tall, but and they were mountains of men. They were just muscle that's what I'm saying. on top and, of muscle. And Muhammad Ali was like taller, and he was pretty. His reach he was, was so un- pretty. He was just so fine, right? I mean, but I remember I just saw the 74 match um, this, earlier this morning, and I was just, again, watching it from a different perspective, obviously, because it was passing, and for whatever reason, I, the only thing that I, I noted right off the bat was his, his reach, you know? Yeah, that, that surgical he didn't have jab. to go as far as he had to with everything, you know? And you look at George Foreman, yeah, I mean, I mean, if we can go 
with that match really quick, I mean, he had to get up close to Muhammad in order to get not only his jabs in, but kind of not force Muhammad to get the kind of reach <laughs> that he could have done that um, would really knock the crap out of him. I, I, I do want to get into, um, you're an activist, and you, as I've said on many shows, you fight the good fight. Talk to me a little bit, and I hate saying that expression, but I, if I was going to ask you a question, in the world of activism, in the world of, of political movements, how important is Ali's refusal to fight in the Vietnam War to everything that happened afterwards? Uh, Muhammad Ali as an activist um, is really important because you're talking about someone who was a really an athlete first and an activist second. And he knew what his platform was. He wasn't stupid when he threw the gold medal in the Ohio River for a reason. Um, so he knew the kind of platform he had, and he also knew how charismatic he was too. I mean, he was, he was really the original Dwayne The Rock Johnson. In, in, in a lot of ways. You know what? That's and, a good comparison. Huh? That's a really good comparison. And, and it really was. You know, and that's why I kind of look at The Rock today as like today's Muhammad Ali. You know? Because the way The Rock, the Rock character talks, the way he's cocky, the way he does his moves is exactly what Muhammad Ali was like during his prime and everything. And so his refusal to not to go to Vietnam... Um, when he joined the Nation of Islam in Chicago, uh, you know, those were really monumental things. And any athlete of that time, um, from like the 60s through the 80s, um, who took a stand for something was really important, you know. And then I would say anyone who came after him was, in a way, compared to Muhammad Ali. The, the, the biggest criticism that you heard during Michael Jordan's prime, uh, other than the gambling, was the fact that he never really took a stance on political issues. And he gave the brilliant line, you know, Republicans buy sneakers too. And I think people expected him to almost be the torch bearer for Ali. And to take up the mantle that Ali had had. And, I, and there's another thing that he did that I, I, I don't think gets talked enough about anymore. But the courage it took to change your name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali in the 1960s during all of that very publicly. And then to fight for that name when people would call him Cassius Clay for him to get angry and goes, no, my name is Muhammad. And, and, and for him to really stand up for that. Uh, you know, neither one of us are Muslim, but I, I would imagine that if you were a young Muslim man or a member of the Nation of Islam, that meant a lot that this would happen. And, and even getting back to the Vietnam thing, you know, until Ali refused to join, if you refused to go to Vietnam, you were considered a coward. Mm -hmm. and, and people would say that. They said, you're a coward. You're afraid to go to Vietnam because you, you don't want to get hurt. And it's you can't call the heavyweight champion of the world a coward because this is a man who is willing to go into a ring, stand toe-to-toe -to, -toe to somebody, and as Rocky says, say, I am. What do you got to stop me today? And it wasn't cowardice. It was genuinely thinking that, you know, what's the famous line? And I, and I, don't, I hope I don't get in trouble for it, but, you know, ain't no Viet Cong ever call me nigga. Like, mm -hmm. the, the simplicity, and that's a phrase I wanted to talk to you about because I love that line. It's not actually a line he ever said, by the way. The actual quote that he said that day, um, 
Hold on, I want to bring it up because I, I really like it. But do, 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 do. the 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 fact that he was willing to stand against so much popular opinion and 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 stand up for what he believed in, knowing what the repercussions were most likely going to be, and the fact, to be honest with you, that he knew he wasn't ever actually going to serve. Here's the actual quote. My conscience won't let me go and shoot my brother or some other darker people or some poor hungry people in the mud for big, powerful America and shoot them for what? They never called me nigger. They never lynched me. They didn't put no dogs on me. They didn't rob me of my nationality, rape and kill my mother and father. Shoot them for what? How can I shoot them poor people? Just take me to jail. I, I, the the courage of that in that time place, knowing that he's going to lose pretty much everything as a result, uh, is something that I think as time went on really became to be respected by even those who probably derided him at the time. You're right, and, you know, and and I always forget when he also did it, but even um, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when he changed his name to Kareem. Um, which I believe was around the same time. I mean, it was, I mean, those were those were big shifts in sports. Um, and it, and remember when when Chris Jackson, who played for um, the Denver Nuggets, when he t- changed his name to uh, I believe it was um, Mahmoud um, Raul, I believe uh, it, that was huge. And when he also didn't, you know put his face down with the American flag and everyone was talking about him post nine 11 and changed his name as a Muslim. And he had to re- forcefully retire because of all that and everything. Um, you know, we, there's a very, a lot of Muslim athletes that a lot of people just don't even think about. Um, whether it's Rashid Shalam, whether it's Rashid Rawless, whether it's, um, Akeem Olajuwon, um, even Shaquille O'Neal's Muslim. Um, you looking at um, Serena Marzina out of India, who's a tennis player. You know, there's a lot of Muslims that are on who are pro athletes, and they tend to be overlooked. I don't know because if they are Muslim, but sometimes it's like, oh, that's just a cool name, and you just buy the jersey regardless because they're kind of cool. Um, but more to the point of the name change, and especially when Muhammad Ali joined Nation of Islam and going more towards this black separatist um, movement, uh, was really, really powerful at the time. And when the Nation of Islam was growing, especially when Malcolm X was in the picture and Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X were good friends, um, was... A, took a lot of attention um, in the media and everything. But but again, it goes back to Muhammad being very smart of knowing who he is, what he's doing, and having the career that he wants. And he, in my view, has always been in control of his career, and no one really told him what to do, when to do, and everything. You may have had Don King 
kind of pulling certain strings. But outside of that... Well, and, mean, and there are those who would say that the Nation of Islam manipulated him to be more about the separatist thing than he ever truly believed in. Um, and, and I believe that that's part of the case. There's also the story that um, when Malcolm X was assassinated, that part of the reason he was assassinated was because of his friendship with Ali, because the two of them were converting more to the Dr. Martin Luther King way of peaceful non-resistance and, and all of that. And, and it, it's the man around him just attracted, I, I don't want to say controversy, but debate. Because I've known people who say that they, they never liked Ali because he never fought in Vietnam. But then I have people like my mother, to be honest with you, who always celebrated that fact. And it's, 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 he, he invited intelligent debate. Not always. I mean, let's face it, racism was and is still a big issue and would come to play in his life and career. But for the most part, Muhammad Ali, and again, the fact that you mentioned several basketball players and, and tennis players, but there is something mythical about I am the boxing heavyweight champion of the world. Because mm -hmm. what that tends to, at least at that point, and now you could argue it's the UFC heavyweight champ, though we could get into a very long debate about why a boxer would beat a UFC fighter, but it's the heavyweight champion of the world in boxing at that time meant that there is no one on this planet who in a one-on-one -on -one fight with me can beat me. No one. That you can send your best and brightest from your hometown and I will demolish that son of a bitch because I am the heavyweight champ, which there's a level of toughness there. And to be able to stand for your principles with that backing means that people can't really the threat of physical violence isn't as strong for you i mean it is in a different way but you understand what i'm saying like people aren't going to challenge you to a fist fight because they disagree with you you're the heavyweight champ and to take the stands that he did to push forward like he did is is something that needs to be celebrated and remembered and i think will be long after this day i mean this is a story that I mean, Prince died, and Prince was a talented musician. I was never the biggest fan, but, you know, it, it led the news for about a week. This is, I don't know how long this is going to go on. This man, in many ways, helped change the world for the better. And, and, and I think that that needs to be discussed and, and, and reflected on. Because you're going to hear a lot of talking, and by people much better at about boxing than AJ or I are, about his boxing career. But the fact that his death is leading CNN, Fox News, CBS News, ABC, MSNBC, ESPN. All of these channels are, are dedicating time to Ali in very different ways. That speaks highly of who that man was and, more importantly, what he represented. Right, and, you know, as far as, like, a news story is, con is concerned, um, I just I kind of really feel that, yes, it's a story, and I think it might carry through Monday, but I think based outside of that, I feel that other people feel the same like I did when I heard he died, and they're not overly emotionally distraught over it because it's one of those things where you knew it was about to happen at some point, you know? And and I hate saying this, but it's kind of the same way with, with Michael J. Fox. If we heard like he passed no, no, no. I'm not talking. I'm, I'm not talking about like the emotional impact of his sudden death. I'm talking about more about 
people will be talking about all of the things that he did in his life for at least a week, if not oh, a yeah. month. Oh, yeah. And, and mean, rightfully I mean, so. The, I think that would carry a lot more weight over. I agree with that. Um, I, I also I want to give credit to my roommate. Um, he had a great line. I came home and I asked him because I, I hadn't heard from you yet. And I really wanted to do a show about this today. I asked him to do the show. And he said he didn't really have a lot to say. But he did have one line. And I, it's my roommate, Pat. And I want to give him credit for it. He he looked at me and he said, I do think that he's part of the representation of why the world is kind of a fucked up joke. And I said, what do you mean? He says, here's a guy who stands for civil rights, is eloquent, is, is an amazing speaker, you know, moves the country forward with his ability to, with the gift of gab, basically. And then what is taken from him? His ability to speak. And it, it just, yeah. it just speaks to the, the sadness of life. And, 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 you know, Pat was right about that. That's a, that's another factor, I think, of the legend of Ali, because as time went on and he lost his ability to communicate, you wanted to know what he thought about stuff, but he was no longer able to communicate those ideals and those and those things. So it became he became a figurehead that people rallied around. I'll, I'll always remember my dad cried at the '96 Olympics when he lit the torch. Yeah. And I was 14. I barely had heard the name Muhammad Ali. But from that moment on, I started to watch. You, you mentioned earlier watching his fights. And his fights were great. But what really always blew me away about the man was just listening to him talk about using boxing as a metaphor for life. And I don't know how much of that was us looking for stuff that maybe wasn't there. But I always kind of felt that he pushed conversations forward that may not have ever happened. And and I think that that needs to be talked about, obviously, is going to happen. But I think we, I think everyone should take a second to realize the Im- awesome impact that that man had on the United States and the world. No, and I think, and I think you're right. I mean, and you're, and you're, and Pat was, is right also in that because he was barred from speaking because of the disease that he had. Um, that because of that, I f- anytime he could speak, even if it was three words, um, you're always on the edge of your seat because there is that persona about him because he was very poetic when he spoke and he can trash talk with the best of them. Uh, and yeah, because of that, I have always been wondering what was on his mind. And I, and there was a part of me wished that he had the same hookup that Stephen Hawking had to a point. Um, cause I think if he had that access to that kind of technology, that I think he would have gave us so much information that I think we would still be awestruck of his thinking as well as um, his poetic way of talking. There's um, Before we get out of here, because we're not doing the full hour today, folks, we're just kind of getting our initial thoughts. We'll probably talk about this a little bit more uh, on our next episode, but I do want to mention that uh, in the days following September 11th, uh, there were a lot of messages that came out, and somehow it, it got lost in the pile of just the chaos of the moment. Uh, but today ESPN did a really cool thing, and they went back and they showed an interview that he did about five days after 9-11 had happened. Did you see this today? 
No. And it's, it's an amazing thing, and it's him actually speaking to the camera. Now, they have subtitles because his ability to speak is so limited. But he did stand there and say that the, the attacks on 9-11 made him incredibly sad because Islam is a religion of peace. And any person who would do what they did is perverting the teachings of Islam. And I think the fact that this is a man who made a living beating up people but was also a pacifist. There is, I don't even know what the word, because I don't want to use dichotomy, because that means that there's an opposite thing. And that, because I don't think that you can be just one thing. And I, I just, the idea that a man would argue for peace, who made a living punching people in the face, somehow gives him more credibility in a weird way, don't you think? Yeah. It's, 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 as, as I look at this now, and, and all these things are coming in, and you've got... I mean, look, there aren't many athletes who die that the flag flies at half-mast. That's happening right now. Did you know that, AJ? No. No, I didn't. Yeah, as of today, the White House and all the other government buildings, flags are at half-mast for a boxer. Think about that. I mean, if there's no better fitting tribute to what the man stood for than that, that he... You you hear this often with with powerful athletes. You especially heard it with Jordan. You know he transcends the sport, meaning that he's more than just the athlete that he was. And in Michael Jordan, it was a superstar thing. Like he was in movies, he was in commercials, he was all over the place. But Ali transcended sport by making what he did just a small facet and use. As you pointed out, he knew what his platform was. He almost never went above what it was. He knew where he stood in society in a way, fought against it, but always knew when to stop with the it's, it's Again, he transcended the sport in a way that was actually not just in superstardom. He transcended the sport in a way that he actually changed things and changed the way people talked about. And honestly, is a big part of why the United States why turned the population turned on the Vietnam War because he forced that debate. And honestly, I think, AJ, the thing that's going to shock you the most in the next coming days, and it's going to offend you, my very good friend, is you're going to start to see a re-debate of the Vietnam War. Oh, I'm sure. And, I'm sure. And, and, and it's, it's going to be sad. And, you know, you mentioned we were talking about his inability to communicate as time went on, and it's... In a country that right now, with the election that we have, is so divided, uh, it's almost fitting that he passed when he did. Because the debate that will rage right now for the next couple weeks about what he actually meant, what he stood for, what he did, can resonate in a presidential election that is so divided. Uh, Do you think I'm wrong about that? or do I I think that this could actually be a factor in that as well. And again, speaks so highly of the influence that the man had. I've no I've always been curious and I love to kind of think of what well I'll say I'll, let me say this part I have always wished that Ali could still speak even with his parkinsons because I really wanted to hear his thoughts more during Bush's administration um, his thoughts on Obama and really his thoughts on Trump. And because, I, I, I would have loved to have heard his thoughts on the invasion of Iraq. Right. Because I really, truly feel that had he had the ability to speak, 
there would have been this polarizing fandom of people like, oh, champ, why are you saying that? To, there you go, just keep on saying that. I, I think it would have been, I think it would have been a bit more polarized had he spoken. But having said that, I still think he would still stand up to his pride and stick to his conviction of his stance when it comes to the black community as well as, you know, what he's been saying um, since joining the Nation of Islam. Before we get out of here for the day, and, and, and if you'll let me, AJ, I just want to, there's something I want to say about this guy. I grew up in a very affluent suburb. I've joked about it on the show, and I'm from Glenview, and we have brick sidewalks. I, I grew up in a very wealthy area. Um, I went to high school at one of the nicest high schools in, in the country, and my teacher at that school was a woman named Del Kennedy, and she is the reason that this show exists. She is the reason that I am who I am. And she would talk to me about Ali, and it, it, she would say all of these amazing things, and she would talk about his activism against the Vietnam War and his activism for civil rights and how what you are in one thing does not necessarily translate to what you are in another. But I want to say this. I'm a man of superheroes. Uh, I don't think that anyone who listens to this show will find that shocking. Uh, I love the Marvel movies. I love DC Comics. Uh, not their movies, but I like the comics. I, I love all of that stuff. I like genre. I like, as Kevin Smith puts it, I like to watch good punch evil in its stupid face. And one of the people who I always equated as a superhero status who was a real person was Muhammad Ali. And it had very little to do with his boxing. His, his fights are legendary, but they're, they're not great fights in comparison to other fights that have existed. What they are are a representation of, of this man who honestly is one of the few people in the history of the world who stood by his principles. And that is a quality that we lose sight of every day. People are willing to sacrifice their beliefs for money or safety or power. And you always got the vibe that that man would not do that. My mother uh, was very against the Vietnam War when she was in high school. Obviously, I wasn't alive for that. But she told me stories about how they would pay for people to get to Canada in the school. Like they would raise money to get kids out who had been drafted, who had graduated a year earlier and didn't go to college. And they would do what they can to get them out. And Part of that was when I was a kid, She, we watched a documentary called When We Were Kings, which is the Muhammad Ali Frazier or Foreman documentary about the, uh, the rumble in the jungle. And I was 14 when I saw that. And the documentary does a really good job of painting an idea of what the man stood for. And I just have nothing but respect for someone who in the face of 10,000 people telling you, look, the easy way out is for you to apologize, take the draft, you'll never serve in Vietnam, you'll be traveling to bases in Germany and Austria and doing shows, and he says, that's not the point. I will not endorse a war that I don't believe in to the point where I am willing to forego my money, to forego my work, to forego, honestly, my family and, and what's best for them to stand up for what I know is right. That is an... Am I'm <laughs> Sorry, my roommate, ladies and gentlemen, like I said, we're doing this at home. My roommate just popped into his head into the door to quote, um, coming to America. Hey, mama called him Clay. I'm going to call him Clay. The, 
Most important thing, though, I think of all of this to remember is that this is a man who stood by his principles when everything told him not to, when everyone around him was probably telling him, champ, you're not going to be able to fight. You're going to lose the prime of your career, which he did. And he stood tall and he stood strong and said, this is what I believe. And I, and I truly respect somebody who says, fuck it. What else can you do? You're going to take away my money? I don't give a shit. You're going to take away my right to work? I'll figure some shit out. What the fuck are you going to do to me? I'm going to stand I'm I'm going to stand here and take everything you got because if I'm willing to do that, you can't win. And and that I think is the true legacy. His honestly, now that I'm saying that out loud, AJ, his fighting career is almost a representation of his political life. I am going to stand here in this spot and I dare you to try to knock me down. And I, unless you got anything else, I can't think of a better way to end than to say that. Uh, one of my favorite quotes by Muhammad Ali is, don't count the days, make the days count. And AJ, if we're going to end this show, I think we should end it with uh, his greatest quote. So AJ, do me a favor and say goodbye to the people. Bye, people. And uh, to anyone listening, thank you for listening to Out Front with AJ and Nick. I am Nick Serranos. That was AJ Signary joining me over the interwebs and Skype. Again, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, and Gmail. We're not going to do all the propers right now because it doesn't seem very fitting. So I'm just going to end with this. And it is his most famous quote, but it is worthy of hearing as we end our show. So ladies and gentlemen, one last time, the greatest of all time, former heavyweight champion of the world, and a man who stood for more than anything, here he is, Muhammad Ali. I'm going to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. George can't hit what his hands can't see. Now you see me, now you don't. He think he will, but I know he won't. They tell me George is good, but I'm twice as nice. And I'm going to stick to his butt like white old rice. That's right. That's the greatest of all, all time. time. Of all time. All time. And they all going to Goodbye, ladies and gentlemen. You have been listening to the Chicago Podcast Network.